Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. We'll actually begin reading in verse 9, but our main text will be in verse 12 and 13. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt, and they had come up to the edge of the promised land and failed to trust God to go into it. So uh, that first generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and, and died off, and the second generation ended up going into Canaan and possessing the land. And the Bible called it their rest. Uh, and I would, I would guess it would be a rest for the people of God in that time because uh, when you've been, spent 400 years in slavery and 40 years in the wilderness, uh, I guess you'd be ready for a rest. Uh, you'd be ready for the blessing of God. But God brought them in to the land of Canaan, and it was to be a place of communion with God. It was to be a place of the blessing of God, uh, a place where they experienced the peace of God. Uh, and uh, this is uh, what God had promised them. However, the rest of God wasn't exhausted uh, in the, the nation of Canaan, uh, that became the nation of Israel. Uh, the rest of God is something that continues. In Psalm 95, later on, uh, David says, there remains a rest for the people of God. And so we have this rest, and it, the rest is a spiritual rest. Uh, the word that's used here is only used one time in the whole Greek New Testament, uh, and it's the idea of, of standing in the state of, of God's rest, that that uh, condition of God's rest. Uh, also, it has the idea of continuing to enjoy God's rest. And so, uh, God's rest is is living the spirit filled life, the abundant life. But it's also that hope of one day when the veil is taken back and we see Jesus face to face, and we'll enjoy it in all its fullness then. Um, so, but God wants us to enjoy this rest now. And uh, one of the ways that God has given us to enjoy His rest and to enter into that rest is through the pages of Scripture, through the Word of God. And so we need to be in the Word of God so that God can show us how to enter His rest, how to make some corrections in our lives and walk in obedience so that we can enjoy the fullness of God's rest. Now, um, the author of Hebrews was writing to a group of people that were going through uh, pressure uh, in their Christian walk. They were being tempted to um, go underground and, and not be open and bold about their faith in Christ. And God says, look, uh, I want you to walk not in anxiety, not in stress. I want you to walk in my rest. Uh, so that's what this this is about. And God helps us enter His rest through His Word. Uh, so we need to spend time in God's Word so that we can learn how to not only enter God's rest, but continue in God's rest. The title of my message is Help from God's Word. Let's begin reading in uh, verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from His. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. 
For the Word of God is living and and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from Him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Now, before we get in, in depth in Hebrews, I want, to, I want you to flip with me just briefly over to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Just keep your thumb in Hebrews. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus is, is giving an invitation here. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves or for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I want to call your attention to two words in this invitation for Jesus that apply to what we're looking at tonight. The first word is yoke and you find the word yoke in verse 29 and verse 30. Christ's yoke. Now, we're commanded to take His yoke upon ourselves. What does that mean? That we are walking in obedience to Him, fulfilling the purpose for which He has created us. So, you're not called to take somebody else's yoke. Uh, You're not called to fulfill the expectations of somebody else. But you are called, if you want to walk in God's rest, to take His yoke upon you. And that yoke is that obedient lifestyle. But look what he, he says also in verse 29. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. Learn from me. How do you learn from Christ? You learn from Him in the pages of His Word. So, Hebrews is kind of expounding on what Jesus has already said. There is a rest for the people of God. And Jesus says, you're weary and you're burdened. and Come to me and I will give you rest. So, how do we get help from God's Word to live in God's rest? Well, first of all, God's Word helps us because it cuts with conviction. It cuts with conviction. Verse 12 says, the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. I can remember uh, listening to the word of God when I was lost and hearing uh, the, the message that I've, I've told you about. And just the word of God cutting through. It, it's such a, uh, an accurate illustration of what God does. Uh, through his word, he cuts it. It's just like it cut through all my excuses and all my confusion and everything else and just hit me right in the heart. Uh, when Peter preached at Pentecost, he says, Listen, you guys have uh, killed the Christ. And the one you killed, God has raised to life and shown that there's salvation in his name. And, and the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Uh, the conviction of God just hit them. And it cut through all of the the stuff uh, that was confusion and, and all of the things that were keeping them from understanding uh, what God desired. The Word of God has an ability to do that. Uh, sometimes when we uh, are maybe even confused in our Christian walk, it's not just at salvation, but uh, also in the Christian life, God can cut through um, 
And he uses his word. There have been many times in my personal devotions I've read the scripture, and God has just cut through. <laughs> and uh, it's it's I'll I'll be reading something. I'll be wow, that is me. I have sinned. This is I resemble this remark, and and I'll I'll confess it to God. Um, sometimes I may be hearing a message, and God convicts me that this is you, Roger. He just cuts through. Isn't it amazing how we can not even sometimes notice where we're in sin? But God's Word cuts through our stupor, <laughs> and uh, spiritual stupor, right? and, uh, and helps us to understand the truth. Um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, Isaiah said, uh, the word of God will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. Um, The scripture says the word of God is living. It is living and effective or active. And, uh, And so God's word is not just a dusty book about the past. God's word is his word to us today. It's a living word. And God, through the pages of Scripture, speaks to us. We encounter the living God in the pages of His Word because it is His Word. And, and His Spirit takes that Word. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? So as you hear a message or as you read the Scripture in your personal quiet time or maybe you discuss it with a Christian friend uh, the Holy Spirit of God takes that Word and applies it and cuts through all of the stuff and shows you his truth. Um, One of the Jewish commentators on this scripture uh, compares these words to the words that were used in sacrifice. When they would take this sacrificial animal and they would begin to cut it apart and expose it, and it just kind of laid it open, and they could tell if there were spots or blemishes in the sacrifice, uh, and then they could offer it up. The Word of God just cuts through. You know, we can rationalize our sin, can't we? We're good at that. We can, we can talk about, okay, well, uh, let me, let me uh, reframe this, right? And so we, we talk about what we're doing and maybe try to put it in a positive light. Or, uh, the Pharisees were, were great at that, weren't they? They would, they would say, look, uh, we, are, we are so religious, we are so godly, and, and, and look at all the stuff we're doing, all the ties, extra things, mint, dill, and cumin, and all these things that we're doing, and uh, all these religious observances that we're doing, and we're just right with God. And we are, we are the, the epitome of what it means to follow God. But Jesus said, you're a whitewashed tomb. He said, you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus in another place said, you're, you're uh, serpents, you're, you're a brood of vipers. See, Jesus cut through all the nonsense and the, the veneer they'd put upon their lives, and he said, this is the true state of who you are. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, says, you've heard it said, you shall not kill, but I say unto you, he who says you fool will be in danger of hell fire. Jesus said, look, you think you're okay because you're not doing these outward sins, but I want to tell you the true state of things. Uh, following God is a matter of the heart. And so he cut through 
the misunderstanding that all that mattered was what happened on the outside. And he, he showed people the need for an inner heart change so that they could follow Christ in the way that they should. Um, and so uh, God's Word cuts us with conviction. Uh, and that's a good thing. You know, uh, conviction sometimes is uh, it's uncomfortable. Uh, I, I, there have been times that I have seen somebody maybe get up and leave in a time when they're convicted. Sometimes in my messages, sometimes in other pastors' messages, I've seen somebody just get up and leave. And, and there's a, the conviction of God confronts them and they choose to reject it and to just get out of there. Get out of the discomfort of conviction. Uh, but conviction's not our enemy. Conviction's our friend. Because when the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin, what He's doing is He's showing us where we are so that we can confess our sin to God and get things right. Because when we confess those sins to God, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and He restores our fellowship with God. And the only way we can walk in God's rest, in the peace that passes understanding, in the joy unspeakable and full of glory, is when we are walking right with God. It doesn't, it's not a matter of whether you're saved or not. Salvation has been settled. But whether or not you enjoy the fullness of what God has for you depends on, upon whether you are dealing with that sin, confessing it, asking God for a change of heart, and, and choosing to turn from that to follow Christ. And, and, and then you can enter God's rest. He's, the book of Hebrews, he, he, the last couple of chapters, he's been talking about the Israelites and how they failed to enter God's rest. Why? Because God had said, I've chosen to give you Canaan. I want you to trust me. I want you to enter the land. But what did they do? They didn't listen to the Word of God. They didn't listen to what God was saying. And, and they said they listened to the spies instead. There's people doing that today, aren't there? They're listening to men rather than listening to God. They're basing their life on the opinions of men versus upon what God says. And so... Uh, they missed the rest of God. They didn't enter the Canaan, uh, the promised land that God had, had told them would be their possession. They saw the big grapes. Were, uh, were escort. They had to have two men to carry that, that bunch of grapes. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I bet they were good, too. You had, I love grapes. You know, maybe I don't know. Maybe they're about the size of a cannonball. You could take it, you know, and just kind of make a meal out of it. I don't know, but but it was something. But they missed it. They missed it because they were unwilling to do what God said. So conviction shows us when we're not doing what God said, so that we can get right with the Lord. And enter God's rest. So conviction's our friend. So when you're convicted, consider that a blessing of God. Confess your sin to God. Ask God for a change of heart. And uh, then choose to follow Him in obedience. So uh, how does God's Word help us? First of all, it cuts with conviction. Secondly, it discerns our hearts. The second part of verse 12 says, It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. The Greek word's kind of an interesting word, and it comes from a root that means uh, passion or emotion. Um, it can mean thought, the thought life, uh, the plans of the heart, these kinds of things. Uh, 
but I think of two different applications. One is uh, the, um, the attitudes that we have. Because sometimes our attitudes can be wrong. And the Bible talks about sins of attitude. Uh, you remember Naaman in the Old Testament? He goes to Elisha, and he's a, he's a foreigner. And, and he says, I need, I need to uh, be healed of my leprosy. And he, he sends messengers with some gifts and stuff. And I, Elisha says, keep your gifts. But he sends his servant to Naaman. And, he, and the servant tells him, go dip in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be healed. And, and Naaman just gets mad. And he says, the Jordan? I'm going to go dip in the Jordan, a muddy river? Aren't there other rivers I could dip in? And he gets all bent out of shape. And, and he's, he's just fuming. I, first of all, Elisha didn't come out to meet him. And that's kind of maybe he felt a little bit slighted. But then he didn't like the directions that Elisha gave him. And so he had a bad attitude in his heart. And one of his servants, who was wise, said to him, if he'd have asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Why not try it? I mean, you know, why not, why not do this thing? And so Naaman listens, wisely listens to his servant and goes down and dips in the Jordan seven times, and he's completely healed. You see, his attitude was keeping him from God's best. God's Word has a way of penetrating and showing us our attitude. I've had God show me so many times my attitude was wrong as I read the pages of His Word or as I listen to a message. Um, sometimes our thoughts are not where they need to be. Uh, now, you don't necessarily have a control over what may pop into your head, but you have a control over what you do with it, right? Um, the Bible talks about the enemy tempting us. I think the enemy sometimes can maybe put a thought there, but we have a choice of what we do with it. Uh, sometimes our thought life may be headed in the wrong direction. Uh, it could be impure thoughts, uh, lust or something like that, but it could also be uh, just uh, maybe thinking negatively about some other Christian, having a bad uh, attitude toward them, and maybe maybe even plotting something against them. Well, I'm going to get back with them, you know. And, and you've got this, this mindset of, of uh, revenge, or, or maybe, maybe it's just a, a, a mindset of being unwilling to forgive somebody that's wronged you, but, but it's a way of thinking that is wrong. And so God, through His Word, confronts that in your life, and he, it, it, it discerns your heart. The word that judges or discerns has the idea of showing you the way you really are in God's eyes. And that again, that can be uncomfortable, but what it does is it gives us insight into where we are. You know what the Bible says? Man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. Um, one, of, one of my professors was talking about this, and he, I don't know if he was talking about this specific verse, but he was saying, you know, People treat you differently based on how you dress. And uh, I thought about that, and I thought, hmm, I think he's probably right about that. I'm going to do an experiment. So normally I wore uh, something, well, maybe not quite as dressy. I didn't have a tie, maybe a sports shirt, something like that. And I'd wear Dockers to college. Uh, so I, I did an experiment. I wore jeans and tennis shoes and a T-shirt. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> I mean, people treated me like I wasn't even there. 
They'd walk right past me. Same, you know, and, and it was amazing. And then, and then you, you dress up a little bit, and, and people start to address you, and hello. And it, it was weird. Uh, man does look on the outer appearance. You heard about the preacher that dressed up as somebody who was homeless, and, and, and he comes into the, the church and, and, you know, is kind of seated over to the side with his head down, and not one person spoke to him. And so they're, they all come in, and they're waiting, you know, and so forth. So finally, he stands up, and he comes up to the pulpit, and he says, open up to James, where it talks about uh, showing favoritism. And uh, he begins to preach a message on how we don't need to show favoritism. We need to treat everybody equal. It's true. Men tend to look at the outward appearance. But you see, God is never impressed by our outward appearance. You can have brand name underwear and God doesn't care. God cares about the heart. And so... Uh, when, when God looks at our heart, what does he see? Our heart can turn God off. It can quench the Holy Spirit. It can rob us of the rest that God wants to, us to experience. And so when we spend time in God's Word, it exposes our heart to us and shows us where we really are so that we can confess that. To God. A lot of times people think of sin as things that you do, but sometimes sins can be an attitude. It can be a mindset that you have, and God's Word can show you where your mindset is wrong. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Pharisees did the mint, dill, and cumin, right? They tithed in those things. And Jesus says, uh, Haven't you heard I desire mercy and not sacrifice? He said, you should have done this and this. In other words, the mercy part of it is more important than the tithe of the mint, dill, and cumin. Uh, you need to put both of these things in your life. So Jesus was saying, just not the outward performance, but your inward attitude towards people matters. You need to show them mercy. Um, you remember the, the disciples grumbling, fighting with each other? about who was the greatest, here Jesus is on the way to Calvary, to offer himself as a sacrifice. And they're all in a fight about who, who should get the credit, who should be on his right and his left. And, uh, you know, I, Jesus, I, it's amazing that Jesus had the patience that he did. But uh, Jesus, the book of John tells us, actually takes some water and a, and a towel, and he does the most humble act that even servants didn't want to do, he washes their feet. And it's not like they were wearing Nikes. I mean, they had these, these uh, sandals on that, you know, they would wear and they get dust. And it was hot and they were sweating and the dust would stick to their feet and it stunk. Okay? This is why nobody wanted to do it. It was a nasty job. But Jesus said, I want to show you what your attitude needs to be to each other. Doesn't need to be one about fighting over who gets the preeminence. It needs to be one of humble service to others. And so Jesus washes their feet, and Peter doesn't. Even, it, it rubs Peter the wrong way, and uh, Jesus says, "Now you've seen me do this. Now you need to go do the same thing." What was Jesus doing? He was showing them their heart. 
They needed a heart change. So the Word of God discerns our hearts for us. It, it kind of shows us where we are inside uh, so that we can confess that uh, and ask God for a change of heart, ask the Holy Spirit to live through us and have the right attitudes through us and the right thought life through us. Uh, it might be God forgive through me, God uh, be merciful through me. But, but it's, it's uh, uh, when God shows us these things, we take it to him in confession. We ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit so that he can live that life through us. So the Word of God helps us because it cuts with conviction, it discerns our hearts, and finally it reveals the truth. It reveals the truth. <laughs> when I was uh, in Texas and my kids were little, we used to get one of those little backyard little pools, you know, for them, and they were so cute. But uh, it was hot one day, and Texas is always hot. And, and so I, I got uh, in my swim trunks at the back of the house where nobody could see and uh, got down in the water with them, okay? And uh, about that time, my neighbor comes walking up. And, you know, clothes hide a lot. You know, they hide the gut, you know, and the love handles and all of that. And, uh, you know, it's, it covers a multitude of sins. But there I was in my swim trunks. And he, he grins and he says, isn't that purdy? <laughs> and I says, oh, okay. Woo. Uh, he saw the way I really was. We try to sometimes hide the way we really are, don't we? And... Uh, Sometimes we may not understand the way we really are. But verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account. Uh, one of the Greek words used here is a word that was used when they would take the sacrificial animal's throat and just bend it back so they could cut it open. I mean, it's just the idea of being exposed. Um, <clears throat> When we read God's Word, it exposes us for who we really are. Uh, it, it, it takes away all the defenses that we put up, right? And, and it, just, it, it just makes us basically spiritually naked. And here we are before God, exposed. It's uncomfortable. Uh, I remember one time... I'd sensed that there was something wrong with my relationship with God, but I didn't really know what it was. And so I, I asked God, and, and I've done this many times, but, but this particular time was memorable to me because of what God did. But I said, Lord, if there's sin in my life, would you show it to me? And, and for the next hour, God showed me thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And afterwards, I just I, I felt exposed. That's the way I felt. I just felt like God had... And, you know, you kind of want to hang your head. It's like, wow. And, uh, but I confessed it, and praise God, the fellowship was back. So God's Word reveals to us who we really are. Uh, when I started um, going through the study on Job with you guys, some of you guys are come on Wednesday nights, uh, it brought up some old emotions and struggles that I've had years ago, and I thought, boy, why is this disturbing me like this? It surprised me. This is disturbing me. 
And I realized that I had some things in my heart that I just hadn't really dealt with emotionally. But something about just looking at the Word of God and seeing what it said just helped me deal with what was there that I didn't even know was there. It just kind of exposed me. Sometimes God's Word uh, will do that in your life. It, It will just expose you. And that's a good thing. Because when he shows you who you really are, he reveals the truth about your situation, um, you can make a change. But not only that, it reveals, it reveals the truth uh, about every aspect of life. One of the things that I find interesting is that um, when I witness to people, I'll, I'll a lot of times ask them, um, you know, what they're trusting in, you know, and usually they'll try to give me some kind of works answer. I, well, because I'm doing good things, maybe more good things than bad things. And, and they don't understand the seriousness of their own sin. And as I begin to talk about all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, and talk about God's standard, Jesus said, be you perfect as your Father in heaven's perfect. And I begin to mention some sins, like some things in the Ten Commandments and so forth that everybody has done, uh, everybody has sinned. And so uh, they begin to see the truth. It kind of exposes who they are. And it like a light bulb comes on. And they recognize, without Christ, I'm in trouble. And, and, and it, hit, it prepares them for the message of the gospel. Uh, God's Word does that. It, you know, we can be deceived about our family life. We can be deceived uh, about things going on at work or things going on in relationships. And God's Word cuts through all that and just reveals the truth to us. Um, we hear all kinds of human opinions. Uh, when we went through the Truth Project several years ago... Uh, they went through all these different areas of, of thought and... and it was amazing how the world teaches one thing, God's Word teaches the opposite. You look at just about everything in life, and that's the way it is. The world has one view, God has the opposite view. And so, how do you learn what is the truth? Well, if you want to learn what the truth is, you've got to come to God's Word. And, and He opens those things up to you and helps you see those things so that you can adjust your life to the truth. What does the scripture say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Um, God's word reveals the truth. And so uh, it helps us to live according to his truth. The Israelites didn't do that, did they? Moses had shared God's truth with them. He said, God wants to bring you to the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants to bless you. And, And he told them the truth about the situation. But instead, they believe the ten spies, right? Well, these guys, these are giants. I mean, we can't handle these guys. And, and, and they listen to the world's message rather than God's message, and they missed God's rest. I think God knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Isn't it amazing Kings and kingdoms come and go, but the Word of God stands. I like what the Scripture says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. It's truth. 
And it, it makes such a profound difference in our lives. It is God's way to bring us into relationship with himself and, and the fellowship with God that he wants us to enjoy. Help from God's word. How does he help us so that we can enjoy God's rest? He cuts with conviction through his word, discerns our hearts, and reveals the truth. And here's the great thing. He goes on to say, we didn't read this scripture, but if you read the rest of the chapter, he, he talks about going to our high priest who provides grace and mercy to help in time of need. Now, when I go to the Word of God, sometimes I'm intimidated. When I see the standard that's there, I see the, the, uh, the directions that God gives, and I think, wow, I have fallen so short. Uh, but he says he doesn't just leave us the Word to deal with it ourselves in our own strength, right? He's given us a great high priest who intercedes for us and who provides the grace, the empowerment to live it out. And so we take that to him in prayer. Uh, one of the things I'll do, not only do I confess, but I'll say, Lord, just empower me to live for you in this area of my life. And you know what? He's faithful, and he'll help you. Be in God's word, because God will help you walk and live in his rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you for how it it cuts us with conviction and it discerns our heart and it exposes us and reveals the truth. Um, Lord, we're so grateful for your word and the, the sometimes uncomfortableness of it. But Lord, at the same time, it's a great blessing because it enables us to draw near to you. Father, I pray for each person here tonight that you would empower us to draw near to you. Because you said if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Help us walk in your rest and the fullness of your abundance.